Uh, today, I, I am, I, I'm, I'm teaching a message on how to enter into the rest of the Lord. Um, so I'm really excited about this message, and it goes along with a lot of what we've been talking about, about the kingdom, about um, what happened when Jesus died on the cross, is he broke the curse of, of two things. He broke the curse over women so that women are rightly restored in relationship uh, to man and to everyone else, and they are now part of the leadership in the army of God. And the second thing that he did is he broke the curse of toil on man. And so those are the two things we've really been trying to hit this year. And we talked about women in ministry. We talked about women in leadership. We talked about marriage and the relationship between men and women uh, this spring, just how to have, you know, just a, a kingdom marriage that is so bright and, and, um, and full of love and full of potential, full of hope and joy and all of the things that are available to us and the fullness of it in the kingdom. And then, um, starting in um, September, we really started talking about the kingdom aspect of, of, of prosperity and, and um, working and how to work is unto the Lord that doesn't include toil, but we enter into the rest of the Lord and all that he did so that we can be prospered. Not only prospering us in the things of bringing uh, the miracles and the signs and the wonders to the earth, but also bringing the wealth of the kingdom to the earth. You know, he said, <clears throat> the silver and the gold is mine, right? That means that the silver and the gold is yours. The, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, which means that the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I love grass-fed ribeyes or grass-fed cows that make ribeyes. Have you ever seen a cow make a ribeye? <laughs> I have. <laughs> We just were at the ranch, and I was like, yum, yum, look at that cow, it's grass-fed. Mom, can I have that one, the really fat one? Um, anyway, so I want you to uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to, um, um, we're going to go all over the words, so, so get your book out or get your smartphone out. Um, turn to Genesis 2. Give me a shout when you're there, Genesis 2. Yeah, Lindsay, I see you. I know that you have the word memorized, you and Bob Jones, right? <laughs> yes. All right. Genesis 2. All right. So he says this in Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God entered, uh, ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. So he said that several times. <clears throat> God rested from all of his work. Don't pay any attention to those lights. Lights, come on in Jesus' name. Um, he, so he rested from all of his work. Uh, why did he rest from all of his work? Was it because he was tired? He was like, whew. Man, those first six days, I am exhausted. Did you see the earth? Did you see the stars in the sky? Did you see the heavens? That was really tiring. No. He said he rested because he was finished. He said, it is finished. It is done. I've done everything that I needed to do. I did my part, and now on the seventh day, 
I'm going to rest. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that from that day forward, God has never picked up another day of work or toil? He's never worked again because it's done. So I ask a question, Lord, I want you to tell me what is rest. Because in America, we think rest is like a lazy boy, right? Or rest is the lack of work, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that rest is a lack of activity. But what he is saying is this. Rest is an emotional and mental state that is at rest. Rest is a place where your soul has stopped battling. Where your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions have come to a place of rest where you fully have the confidence and the trust in what God has spoken and said, and there's no worry, there's no anxiety, there's no fear in living this life because you are fully at a place of rest. Rest is what we do when we are fully convinced that God has completed it all for us. Romans 4.21 says this, being fully convinced that what he has promised, meaning what he has spoken, wherever you see the word promised, something that God has promised to you, this is something that God has spoken to you. This is something that God has said to you. It's either in his word or it is, or it is by the uh, prophetic word. It is either a now a kairos word, a rhema word, or it is a word that is written in his word. And let me tell you something about this word. This word is now written. This word is called the Logos word of God. It's written. But guess what? Before it got written, it got spoken. He was, has always been speaking. He will never stop speaking. He has never stopped speaking. When I first got saved, I got saved by the audible voice of the Lord. Guess what? God had something to say to me. What it did is it took me off. It was a Damascus Road experience. It took me off one road and it put me on another. And I remember going to my pastor at a dispensational church, meaning that they do not believe that God still speaks today, who said to me after I told him all of the things that the Lord had said to me, the encounters that I had, the, the trances that I went into, the open visions that I was having, having never even read the Bible, all of this had happened to me. And I tell this pastor of this dispensational church, and you would know this church if I told you, but I won't do that because that's rude. And uh, he said to me, Tracy, I once thought God spoke to me, but I was wrong. Now, here was his question. Why would God speak to you? And you haven't even read the Bible, and he doesn't speak to me. <clears throat> well, you know, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but this, so this is what he told me. God doesn't speak. He's already spoken through his word, and this is his word, and once the word got written, he doesn't talk anymore. And that's not how he said it, but that's how he said it, you know. Um, and he said, what you're, who you're hearing is you're hearing Satan, and so you need to rebuke that voice the next time it comes. And I thought to myself as I was leaving that place, well, I may not 
have ever read the Bible. But the thought that Satan is a chatterbox and God has gone mute makes absolutely no sense to me. And I praise God that I had, or that he gave me the wisdom to go, okay, that may not be right. So anyway, thank goodness for uh, Terry and Susan Moore who said, oh yeah, God's talking all the time. And I remember going up to Mary and saying, these are all the things that God said to me. And I thought, I'm the only one he's talking to. And I remember Mary saying, oh, no, he talks to all of us. And I was like, really? (laughs) I don't know if you remember that conversation, but anyway, I love you. Um, Okay, so all is well. Here's what he's saying. We we should be fully convinced. We, We enter into his rest when we are fully convinced that all is well because of his word. Because his word, he has spoken the word, and the word does the work. We don't do the work. It's not that we're not doing something. We're just not toiling. Toil is when you're working unto anxiety and fear and and fear of loss and and trying to get ahead in your own strength. And so if it's going to be, it's up to me. And so there's always anxiety and fear attached to it. And what if this guy comes and he takes my business? And what if this, blah, blah, blah. And what if if these bad things happen? And and you just get into the, uh, you know, the what ifs, right? you, You know, it's like, and he's like, don't worry about tomorrow. You know those flowers? They're not worried. They're in rest. They just sit there and they go, okay, I'm budding, I'm budding, I'm budding. It's like that. It's like Dora just keeps swimming, swimming. Well, the flower is singing another song. I'm budding, I'm budding, I'm blooming, I'm blooming. I'm not worried. I never think that I'm not going to bloom. And, 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 and this flower is clothed in such radiance and beauty that, he, that, that Jesus compared it to Solomon. I mean, how beautiful and grand is that? So if the flowers aren't worried, we should not worry. All is well because his word is the strongest and most powerful force in the universe and has absolute power over all creation, including the bully who is trying to keep you from succeeding. How many of you have that guy in your life? Come on. His name is Satan. Trying to keep you from getting to where you know God has for you. So each one of us have been born with a destiny. It is written on your DNA. God knit you together. And he said, look at this DNA. I'm going to put a formula within them that is going to cause them to go on the journey that I've set for them. So the word is already in you, and you were knit together with the word. He created everything. The word creates everything. Over your life was a word that was spoken before you even got here. And I love uh, the prophecy that we're doing in the womb because what we're doing is we're releasing the word over the babies before they get here so that the mom goes, oh, that's how I need to be praying. That's what I need to be agreeing with so that my child won't have to go through a lot of the discovery that many children do because the mystery is already here. It's in the earth. Those mysteries from heaven come down, whoa, 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 out of your mouth and into the natural, right? 
So the Israelites lived in Egypt. Let's talk about them for a minute. There they were. They were slaves for 400 years. Now, we're Americans, so we don't really know what it is to be slaves in this generation. But for 400 years, that's like five generations, six generations, right? And so generation after generation, they're toiling. And so they are being oppressed. You know, they have to work long hours toiling in the field in order to eat, right? Uh, and it's not even their field. They're making somebody else rich, right? And, and so they're toiling, toiling, toiling. Well, within that time, what happens is a generational curse and generational iniquity and generational, well, this is how my dad did it, so this is how he raised me, so this is how I did it, and this is how I raised my son. And so we're all birthed and, and, and brought into a life of toil. And that's how they lived. So what happens is Moses comes upon the scene and says, hey, guess what? I'm about to shake you loose from all of this oppression. I am going to <laughs> help the Lord bring 10 plagues on the land, but not a lot of it is going to come near you. So it's going to be really good for you. Then uh, the miracle of all of the plagues. So Israel got to see the signs and the wonders of the plagues where the, the, the plagues were coming on the people of the of the land but they weren't coming near the people of God and so they saw these miracles then he said okay the Pharaoh's gonna let you go and by the way you get to pillage all the gold and the silver and you get to take it with you this is really good news all of this being supernatural think about this from a slave's perspective it's like what you're gonna go to that neighbor who never talked to you and they bossed you around for the last 400 years and asked them for their gold and silver because we're out of here <laughs> Oh, by the way, I'll take that livestock too. Thank you very much. But what happened? The word of the Lord. Moses said, here's what I want you to do. This is what God told me to tell you to do. So therefore they did it. And what did they get? They got the pillage. They began to take the silver and the gold, right? So then they crossed the Red Sea. This is amazing stuff, right? And they're like, wow, you know, we got over here. Three or four days have gone by and boy, we could use something to eat. <laughs> Maybe a little water that would be helpful, a little parched here. You know, the Red Sea didn't quite do it for me. And so the Lord's like, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you manna, manna from heaven. That's amazing. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Exodus 16. So let's see what the Lord does. So the Lord begins to set something in place, and he's setting in place a system, and he's, gonna, and, he's, and he's trying to show them a type and shadow of what it's going to be like for us who have been uh, saved by the blood of Jesus. All right, let's start um, chapter 16, verse 4, Exodus 16, 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. <clears throat> okay, stop there. So what is he doing? What is God doing? He said, okay, I am actually going to give them their daily bread. But in that, I'm going to test them to see if they'll do what I'm telling them to do. Give us this day our daily bread. And in it, I will guarantee you there's going to be a testing. How are you going to handle the daily bread that you're being given? Okay? And then he says this, to see if they will walk in my law. What he's saying, to see if they'll walk in my ways. Will they walk in my will? 
Will they walk in my ways is what he's saying. Because we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace. So he's saying, are you going to do what I'm telling you to do? Are you going to stand on the word that I've already spoken? Or are you going to go astray in your own mind and begin to think and make ideas on your own, thinking, well, I can get myself out of this situation? Guilty. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice, say twice, twice as much as they gather daily. And then on the seventh day, I'm not reading it, on the seventh day there would be no manna because on the seventh day they would enter into the rest of the Lord. So on the sixth day they're going to gather double portion so that on the seventh day they have plenty to eat, but they've entered into the rest of the Lord. So in this, what God is doing, think about the mindset. They've been in the wilderness for about, um, for just a short period of time when he begins to tell them about this rest, the seventh day rest. God entered the rest. We have to enter the rest of the Lord in order to, to reap the benefits of the fullness that God paid for at the cross. Jesus paid for at the cross. It was God. But you see what I'm saying? There is a fullness available for us who are fully convinced that he did everything, paid for everything, and we have access to everything. Say everything. God does not want his people to be beggars. God does not want his people to be poor, okay? What he wants is he wants to teach you the ways of the kingdom so that you can access the things of the kingdom so that the people of the land will go, <clears throat> What are you doing? Because I see that I'm over here working and stressing and about to have a heart attack. And you're over there whistling Dixie. And you're making a lot of money. And you're never worried. And you're never full of anxiety. And you're taking lots of vacations. Come on. All right. So what he's doing with them, he's doing this over and over. Seven days. Seven days. Seven days. Seven days. He does that for about two years before he tells them to go into the promised land. And he does that. It's like the Pavlovian theory, right? He's teaching the dog. You keep going to the same place and you get a reward. You keep going to the same place and you get a reward. You keep going to the same place. And so he took the generation that had spent five generations in toil and he's saying, I'm teaching you a new way. Okay? So they get there to the edge of the promised land and they said... Yeah, we don't trust you to do this for us. We don't trust you to do this with us. We don't trust you, God. So what happened is they were not fully convinced. They did not fully trust God to do it for them or to do it with them. They, he was like, no, no, you go do it, and then, then you, you come do, you come, you give it to us. That's the way that a orphan thinks. That's not the way that a son thinks. The way that a son thinks is a son and a father are connected. The son and the father do things together. Now, when you're, when you're young and you're a baby, you got to do it for them. But when they get older, there is this interdependence thing that's happening where you actually begin to build together, right? Father and son. All right. So they ended up not going in, and then it was like, now, now you got to eat manna for another 40 years. Sorry about that. <laughs> Darn it. 
So he knew this is what God said. I, I can't work with this. Your, your, your minds have been seared with, the, with the, the, the curse of the earth. Therefore, I have to bring up another generation in the way of the manna, in the way of the six-day manna and the seventh-day rest. Because once I do that and I train them in my provision and they are fully convinced that I'm going to do it for them, they're going to step out, and I'm going to show up. They're going to step out, and I'm going to show up. You're going to step out, and he's going to show up. And that's the way this works. How many of you are do this? Because I do this sometimes. Like, yeah. And I go, okay, God, that sounds like a great plan. You go and do that. And then I'm gonna, I'll come in, and I'll start working in the field that you have been plowing and, har- and then it's time for a harvest, I'll go in. And he's like, yeah, no, that would, that's not actually what the word says, and none of the other guys did that, so why would I let you do it? Because those aren't his ways. What he's looking for is he's looking for faith. When he comes back, will he find, it doesn't say love. When he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find those who are fully convinced in who he is and what he has spoken, and they just run to the battle when he says run? All right, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 4. Whoo, it's getting hot up here. Is anybody else hot? Turn the AC on. All right, so you've got a couple of brothers here. Uh, You've got Abel and Cain, okay? So I love this. It's like Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Ah, whoops, what happened? <laughs> Can you imagine? She's just thinking, man, I got to cut back on the carbs because this is getting a little big. And then all of a sudden, bam, look, there's Cain. All right, anyway. <laughs> uh, then she bore again, and she, gave, and she had uh, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. <clears throat> okay, so I want to look at a couple of these words. Um, the, the word keeper of the sheep actually means to rule or to speak. He's keeper of the sheep, which means he's ruling over the sheep or he's speaking to the sheep. Now, what did Jesus say? I am the shepherd of the sheep and the sheep hear my voice. Okay, whenever you see, okay, that, 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 that the voice of God is being heard, God's not just singing, ah, 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 ah. he's actually saying words. So when, you, when it says that it's his voice, it's his words, okay? So you can superimpose that. Unless, of course, he's doing that. I don't know. So he's the keeper of the sheep, or he's the speaker to the sheep, or he's ruling over the sheep. And then you have Cain, who is the tiller of the soil. How many of you have tilled soil? Come on, baby. John, there it is, the man with the hoe. (laughs) 
I meant like a gardening tool. <laughs> All right, so he's the tiller of the soil. That word tiller means to work or to labor. So here you've got the two of them. Now, now I want you to, to think about what this looks like for these two brothers. So, so you have Abel. He's over there sitting on a rock, and he's just watching those sheep. Now, let me tell you how hard that is. Okay, I'm doing it right now. I'm watching my sheep. I'm looking over my sheep. I'm tending my sheep. If I were to call you on the phone and you answered the phone, I wouldn't have to tell you who I am, especially with my loud voice. You'd be like, hey, Pastor Tracy. <laughs> hey, Pastor Tracy. <laughs> you would know it was me, right? You hear the shepherd. You know the sound of your father's voice. It's like when that pastor said, that wasn't God that was speaking to you. And I'm like, dude, I know the sound of my father's voice. I came from my father. I know his voice, okay? It's the same thing. And then you've got Cain over on the other side. <clears throat> He's tilling the soil. He's got the hoe out. It's hot. It says that there were, th it were wait, wait, wait let, me, let me back up. Hold on. It says that you're going to bring forth uh, the, the herb of the field, and it's going to come out of thorns and thistles. So it's kind of like the briar patch, right? So he's hoeing. Back then, they probably didn't even have a hoe, right? So I doubt they had that equipment, and so he's probably there with his bare hands or some sort of sharp rock, and so it's hard labor. He is sweating. It is the sweat of his brow that he is working. So he finally gets a crop together, and he's the one that initiates the offering. And he's like, I'm going to get some of this stuff together, and I'm going to take it to the Lord. And the Lord's saying to us, that right there is not what I desire. I prefer Abel's offering over your offering, he gave me the first of his flock. He gave me the best, but he gave me what he made through rest. He worked unto the Lord, which he was, had entered into the rest of the Lord. And he spoke to the things that God had created in order to increase the flock of his field. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Now, I've been over this in the last couple of weeks, but I want to show you. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to juxtapose that to um, the New Testament because Paul speaks of this in Romans. And let's start in, not verse 4, let's, uh, chapter 10, let's start in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does, say does, those things shall live by them. And in verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks. Say, the righteousness of faith speaks. It speaks. Guys, look at those two. You've got the Old Testament. You've got the law. The law does. Toiling does. I'm going to work, 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 work. I'm going to toil, toil, toil. And then, in the, But the, in the New Testament, under the new covenant, under the covenant of rest, under the covenant of grace, what we do is we enter into his rest. Therefore, we speak, and everything in the earth has to respond to the word of God. 
the earth has to come running to the things that God is speaking through us. All right, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, which is my favorite book. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know, probably a woman, just saying. (laughs) Ah, Had to say it, sorry. All right, uh, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice or his words, Do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and I said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he's talking about a couple of things here. He's talking about if you hear his voice, if you hear his word, and you don't rebel against those words. Those are his ways. If you believe the word of God and you stand on the word of God and you keep walking on the word of God, then you're walking in his ways. But if you don't, then guess whose ways you're walking in? Yours. You're walking in your way. Therefore, you may get there, but you're going to get there with a headache, maybe a heart attack, stress, I mean, the number one cause of disease they've discovered is stress. Why? Because everybody's toiling. To do what? To get there. To get there to do what? So they can rest. The Lord's like, what? Okay, let's review. When Jesus died on the cross, he said this, okay? He's dying on the cross. And he said, it is finished. Just like God said, On the seventh day, he rested because it is finished. Jesus said, it is finished. I have now returned you back to rest so that now you can fully be convinced and occupy the land and take the land that I promised to you. So have you ever asked yourself the question, why was did Jesus get resurrected from the dead? Why? Who did that? How did that happen? How did that happen? It wasn't fairy dust. You know? Did the father himself walk in there and go, hey, wake up. Clean your room. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, That was me. Y'all met Samuel, okay. <laughs> um, where it, it was it angels? Was it angels? They were like, whoa, let me give you a hand up. No. It was the word. He woke up, and he was resurrected from the dead because of the word. Because in the Old Testament, in Psalm 16, it said that on the third day, that he was going to be resurrected. And then Jesus himself spoke it out of his mouth, and he said, Hey, on the third day, I'm going to get resurrected. Uh, They're going to kill me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. They're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to get resurrected. And Peter's like, no, no, no. He took him aside and he was like, no, that's not going to happen. Don't say those things. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. Because you cannot come against the word of God. 
And he's saying all of this has to be fulfilled because every word of God will be fulfilled. And anything that comes against the word of God, we have to rebuke that thing. The bully that's going to get you to stop succeeding. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You don't have no power or authority over the word of God. I'm standing on the word of God. What are you talking about? He was resurrected because of the word. The third day came. That son rose, and I am telling you, he rose. He rose without any help. The only thing that helped him, the word. Why? When they, when they began to divide up his clothing at the base of the cross, why? Why did that happen? Somebody else is fulfilling a prophecy that they didn't even know about. These are Roman soldiers casting lots. Why? Because the word had already been spoken in the Old Testament. 2,000 years go by. Guess what? Word's still active. It's still in the earth. It's still in the universe. The word has already been spoken, and it will perform what it was intended to perform, and nothing will keep it from doing so except when you say no or you disagree with the word of God. And out of your mouth comes the opposite of what God has said, and it puts a pause on the destiny and the promise that God has over your life. <clears throat> John 6, verse 49. Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. In John 1, verse 1 and 3, he says this. John says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Through him, all things, say all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. In verse 14, the word became flesh and lived among us. We gazed on his glory, the kind of glory that belongs to the Father's unique Son who is full of grace and truth. So, manna. Manna became alive. The manna that came down from heaven... We entered into the rest. We are in the double portion. We have been given a double portion because on the sixth day, a double portion came so that the double portion was Jesus. He was the double portion. He was like, listen, you get double, double. You get the double, double. I am here, and it's not a hamburger. I am here to feed you so that now you can enter into my rest, and the word that I now speak will be within you, and you will speak it out of your mouth. That is why the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you, and it cries out. It says, Abba, Father, it says, let me prophesy now, and I'm going to prophesy, and that same uh, prophecies that Jesus spoke and they came to pass will happen when you prophesy will come to pass. The power of God that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. All it took was a word. On the third day, I'll raise up again. And so each one of you are carrying a promise. And the Lord has spoken over you. And, and what we have to do is say, that is right. And get that word and dust it off and write it down. Just like they wrote it down. Oh, look. Okay, God 
spoke the word because he said, I am only going to do things through my prophets. I am not doing anything unless I do it through my prophets. So, so after the six days, God rested. He's like, all right, I'm done. The only other time that he did anything was through people. Because what he did is he came to them and he said, okay, I'm going to whisper in your ear and I'm going to tell you what you're going to say. I need you to say what I say. Okay. Ezekiel, Zechariah, Isaiah, David, they're all prophesying. Hosea, they're all prophesying. They're all prophesying. What are they doing? They are establishing things. They are tearing things down. They're working in conjunction with the Lord in order to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. And then he said, listen, the, the, the least in the kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist, who they said is the greatest prophet of all. Why? Because you have access to the kingdom so that the word of God is alive in you and it will be established in the earth and the earth has to bow to the word that comes out of your mouth. Sorry, I'm getting excited. Whew. I am sweating. All right. Jesus walked on the word, and the word made the way for the promise to be fulfilled. He was faithful and true to the words that were spoken about uh, him. So, I want to tell you there are six things that happen in the process of entering into his rest. Every single one of you, if you haven't gotten a prophecy, this is a prophetic house. Please, get a prophecy. I mean, we prophesy, it's like epic. It's like, are you done yet? 25 minutes later, <laughs> we can go all night long, I'm telling you. We're like, and then, so if you haven't had a prophecy, anybody around here can prophesy to you, anybody. And, and, and by the mouth of two or three, let it be established. Ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you, I have journals that are this tall, and in those journals are words and words and words. And I've gone through them and I've found what God is saying for my life. Okay? I know who he told me I am. He, I know what he's called me to do. And I stand on that word. How do I stand on that word? Okay? So the prophecy comes, number one. Number two, especially if you're a new believer or you're new to this thing of prophecy, if you're new to his way, what will happen is he's trying to establish us. And so we may be immature. And so what he does is, he'll t is the, the word gets tested. Because you get the word and then the word gets tested, right? It's what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. He got the word, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. He didn't do anything yet, but I'm well pleased. All right, so the baptism of the dove comes and uh, the spirit, and then he goes into the wilderness. The word gets tested, all right? So expect that. But I will tell you, the, the better you get at this, the more and the longer that you live this kind of life, a life of faith, when the, the testing actually gets shorter, because here's what he's looking for. He's looking to see if you're fully convinced. He is looking to see if you're fully convinced. And so, so, if he, if, so what happens is that the, the more that you do this and you live a life of faith, you don't even think about it. It's going to happen. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm going to put that out of my mind. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to thank. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for X, Y, and Z. So that's what we do. That's how we live our life. 
The, the word that comes out of our mouth the most is, thank you, Lord, 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 for X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z, every day. We do it like we're taking medicine. And when you get in the season of the promise, you'll know because the pressure gets really bad from outside. You know, it's just like, that's that word. You're like, oh, I don't think I can make it. I don't know if I believe anymore. Maybe I need to go get another job, right? But the word gets tested gets tested. The pressure gets worse. Baby, that's when you need to pull out that word. And every day in your car, thank you, Lord, for X, Y, and Z. 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 And you just like robotically say it. What are you doing? You're crushing, you're breaking through that wall, that wall of resistance. And you're like, you have no authority over the word of God. The word of God has authority over you. Get out of my way. (laughs) All right. Uh, Number three. So you stand and believe. Stand, therefore. That's what they're talking about in Ephesians 6, you know, with full armor of God and everything. Uh, Number four, you keep the word. How do you keep the word? You keep the word before you. This is the thing I'm looking at. What am I looking at? And I'm over here looking at all those problems. Am I over here looking at the account that has no money in it? Am I over here looking at all these adversaries who are speaking curse words about me? By the way, let me just talk about that. All of those people who are accusing you, all of those people who are so demonized, and they're over there Jezebeling it up, right, having a Jezebel party, let's just talk bad about them. Let's just talk bad about them. Let's just curse them. Let me tell you about those people. Those people have no authority over the word of God. All you got to do is keep speaking the word of God. The word of God will do the work for you. Go in there. What is it? It's a sword. Whoop. Ah, there goes her head. Where are the dogs to lick up their blood? Okay, we don't do that in America, but anyway. Keep the word. Keep declaring the word. Keep the word. Um, Number five, the promise is fulfilled. Yay. My joy is full. The promise is fulfilled. Let's have a party. And number, oh, six. I said five. Number six, the testimony. Here goes the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy, right? Oh, look, there's the spirit of prophecy. It started with prophecy. Here was my journey. God said, I went through the wilderness, had to believe the word. It was really tough. I was suffering. I was suffering. I was suffering. I was speaking the word. I was speaking the word. I was speaking the word. Bam. Promise came. I was victorious. And I gave a testimony. Glory to God. And God got the glory right? The glory of God. That's what it talked about. That, that when we, go, when we, when we uh, walk in his ways, who gets the glory? Us? No. Why? Because we're not toiling. People are like, oh yeah, you made a lot of money because you had a lot of money. No. I had no money. I was dead broke and God came through because of his word. I let his word work. Amen? We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you would like to partner with us, you can visit storehousedallas.com forward slash give or you can send a text message with an amount to 84321 thank you very much for your contributions